Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 21 of the 24 Stories podcast, and this week we're going into the world of theatre, and I'm delighted to be joined by the CEO of Cork Opera House, Eileen Gleeson. Welcome to the podcast, Eileen. Thanks, Stephen. Delighted to be here. Eileen, before we start talking about the Opera House, am I right in saying you're a, a bit of a musician yourself? I am. I suppose I would have always been a musician since I was a small child. Okay. I come from a musical family. My father's a folk musician. Um, my sisters are all musicians. And, you know, it was just very much part of our story, you know, yeah. like our family. Uh, we played music together. We sang in the choir in at mass on a Sunday. I sang in choirs um, all up through my childhood and yeah. my teenage years and my adult life. I still sing in choirs every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I studied music in UCC, which felt like a kind of a natural course of action because, you know, I was so music obsessed when I was in school. Yeah, so like in secondary school, we allowed study music then? And yeah, I was actually. And I mean, it was really important for me that I went to a school that had music on the curriculum because mm. lots of schools at that time didn't. It's getting better though. It's getting it's, much better yeah. and I mean it's so it's such a powerful thing for children yeah. to engage with with music and with the arts similar to sports you know like yeah, it's a same yeah. it draws on the same sort of part of the child you know mm. um, and really helps build confidence but for me it just really kind of exposed me to my capacity across a number of areas you know whilst you know when I moved into third level education it was very clear to me very, very quickly that there were loads of people who were way better than me, number one, which is really was really a impo- really difficult thing to learn, but also really turned it into something very powerful for me, you know, because it really yeah. forced me to think about myself in a different way, you know. And, and when you say better than you, as in, did you have an idea in your mind going into third level studying music that you wanted to be a full-time performer? I guess I did, yeah. And I wasn't quite sure what that meant, mm. but I knew I wanted to be a musician. Mm. And it's not that I'm a bad musician. Like yeah. I definitely have great music in me and it's very much part of who I am. Yeah. But it's the discipline around it that I yeah. was never really quite committed to. Like it's the four hours in the rehearsal room yeah. on your own with yeah. your violin or your piano or your mm. voice. And they had more discipline around mm. the room practicing. And I was just so like not able to do that actually. And I was much more interested in collaborating with other people with having a bit of crack with the music like with you know, being on sing songs and sessions yeah, and, and like yeah. that to me was what it was about, you know, and it became very clear that if I wanted to go down the classical musician route, that I would have to let a lot of that go and just really get serious very quickly. And I just was like, I just don't think that's for me. And I learned that very quickly, like the power of understanding how to be a musician, but yeah. also understanding like that with music comes power actually, you know, Yeah. and with understanding this art form, you can actually make a lot of great things happen. So when I was in third level, I was in the choral society and I was very active in the kind of committee side of that, you know, mm. um, I did much more work off campus than I ever did in any classroom or rehearsal room. Like I was the ENS officer with the Students' Union and I, I established the first Music on Campus Week in UCC, which oh. was, I was really inspired to give like my fellow classmates gigs you know yeah, and yeah. like making sure that our talents were seen and heard all over the university you know so um, and actually it was really like I was so clueless like I hadn't I had a clue what I was doing but I just had this kind of like ability to just do it anyway yeah you know and um, and I you really, learn by doing as you well you learn by doing yeah, and I learned yeah. about 
the power I had to understand like bringing people together and the impact that it has on a community and how I supposed to develop my own voice as you know somebody who's a producer I guess as mm. I didn't know that at the time but that's what I know it was yeah. now from time I know that that's where I was heading into this more creative producing kind of role which is essentially the job I'm doing in the opera house now on a professional level you yeah. know I found myself on student committees and like what when then went on to kind of begin to develop a a very short-lived but very very interesting career in student politics where okay, I you know yeah. I was the women's rights officer with USI like I was I developed this voice because I had this platform like where I felt confident and comfortable with my colleagues and my and my yeah. fellow students yeah. to be able to talk about things you know and that's never left me since actually it's interesting how that you know that kind of confidence came at a very young age and stayed with me for some reason I don't know why Great experience, Deutsche. Yeah, great experience. And I mean, like, just to be able to play out getting your point across and arguing about things like, you know, how the disparity between men and women in mm. the doll, you know, things like that. At yeah. a very young age, when you start thinking about how the world isn't an equal place, yeah. you know, it's, you could begin to see it everywhere. I think in terms of the women's rights stuff, I mean, that just kind of came about by accident because I think the guys who were running the students' union that year kind of were looking to put somebody in, you know, okay, like somebody yeah, from Cork in. And yeah. I was like the sitting duck at the time. They were like, she'll do, she's fine. Yeah. And, you know, at the start of that journey, I was like, what am I doing? Like, is this something that I really care about? And by the end of the year, like I can say I was a fully fledged like feminist. Like I okay, really, yeah. really yeah. cared about the issues that were, and I still do to this yeah. day, care about the issues that came up. You know, there's much more focus on, on gender equality and like it's much more part of the everyday conversations but we're still not there, you know. So, yes. um, but the po- that was the end of me, my career in politics. Yeah, you didn't think about because <laughs> no. a lot of people that start in student unions yeah, end yeah. up in politics. You didn't yeah. think about going into it. I think that I was just more interested in in the world of the arts, you okay. know. Like you, you spoke well ago again, uh, and some people don't understand the kind of creative brain behind, I suppose, artists and music, and that discipline actually doesn't sometimes kick in with the creative brain sure it doesn't no you know it's like, probably the furthest thing away from yeah. what creatives want to do is be disciplined about things you know because a lot of people would automatically think oh sure musicians sure they're just having fun but they don't think about dedication that's put into mm. the mm-hmm. to the art form mm-hmm. you know like all musicians if they're to master their instrument yeah they really need to work hard. Like, I mean, they need to make sacrifices in their lives that other people wouldn't make. Just like training, like it's high like performance sport, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like only the top one, two percent actually yeah. can make a living yeah. out of it, you know. Yeah. And the rest of us are like trying to get the kind of engagement with music. We're in sessions or we're, mm. you know, we're finding some way of meeting this kind of desire to perform, but just not on a professional level, you know. But the one or two percent who actually do make it, like it is something that is very serious in their lives. It takes over. It means that they, you know, have to work by night a lot because like events happen at night. It means that they have to supplement their income at all times by like maybe teaching or, I don't know, writing or, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to do to make a living as an artist, you yeah. know, um, and you really have to be committed. It's a vocation. Yeah. You know, um, and it's a vocation that I really respect. Like I genuinely do respect it because it's not an it's not an easy path to take. I mean, you see opera singers, professional opera singers, they're like extreme athletes. The way they have to mind their bodies, look after yeah. their voices. Yeah. 
like think about the environment they're in all the time. They can't be in a crowded space because they might have to project their voice too much, which mm. would maybe, you know, strain a muscle in the vocal, their vocal cords. Like it's a constant, constant management of yourself and your surroundings. I always you know? remember, you know, some of the listeners might notice, but I'm a trained operatic tenor myself, but kind of semi-retired. We were kind of chatting before we came on. And I always remember asking the poor late Cara Sullivan one time backstage in the opera house. And I said, Cara, what's it like to be a professional opera singer? And is it something that I should pursue? And she said to me, well, if you like to live out of a suitcase, she said, because you're just the product, you kind of travel around to wherever the next gig is. And she said, it's brilliant when you're there, but there's a lot of sacrifices mm-hmm. to be made. Mm-hmm. It's a great career, but if you're willing to have those sacrifices. And it's again coming back to this idea that like to be successful, you have to be willing to do things that other people just aren't willing to do, you know. And touring is really hard. Like living out of a suitcase is really hard. Like it's very hard to feel grounded and to feel safe. And, you know, if you're not, if you can't be surrounded by your own space and your own family and your own home, and you're constantly on the road, like that's really wearing, you know. Uh, some people like thrive in that environment, mm-hmm. but most people actually don't, yeah, you know. Yeah. And it's for the love of their art and the love of their their passion. It's for the because of the passion they feel for the work they do, and the and the rewards that they get from giving people the experience of being a professional musician and like an audience responding to that. That's why it's a vocation. Like I just think people like that can't help it. They have to do it. They have to do they it. They have to do it. So when you left college life, what was the first step? I worked in Killarney in the INEC for maybe a year and did a little bit of programming there and did a little bit of marketing and box office and just kind of began to learn about how the business works. Um, And that was part of a hotel group. So that was interesting to kind of see across hospitality and and kind of entertainments more than the arts, actually. Um, And then I moved to Edinburgh and I spent four years, four and a half years in Edinburgh working I think I must have worked in every box office there was in Edinburgh across all of the festivals. And I learned so much about sales and marketing throughout that time because I really learned like the power of good marketing and how to sell a product. And this was everything from extremely high art, orchestral music, classical music, operatic music, Mm. all the way across to like comedians and, you know, like more commercial entertainment. Um, and they have, of course, the big festival every year, they the have Fringe the festival, festival and stuff like that. Yeah, they have, I think they have five festivals happening at the same time Whoa. across August. So such an art city, really. Really artistic city and really well established, well formed scene there, you know, mm. that um, and I eventually ended up working in the Festival Theatre, which is uh, very similar to the Opera House in many ways, actually, um, in that it's it's a kind of a mission driven, artistically led theatre, mm. um, but commercial in its out in its outlook yeah, because you know yeah. big space needs to make money in order to you know d- deliver its mission you know and I was working in a marketing role um, in that organisation and that was kind of the beginning of me getting serious then you know I moved back to Dublin then and I uh, took on a marketing position with Chamber Choir Ireland a professional choir and having had so much experience as a musician and as a choral singer myself it was kind of a good fit for me and very soon after I started um, the CEO position became available I was 26 at the time and I went for it and I got it. It's quite young to be a Very CEO. Very young to be yeah. a CEO. So I spent five years with the Chamber Choir. And how do they make their money in, in general, the Chamber Choir? Do they put on performances? or They put on performances, but it's mostly like, you know, they get grant aid, you know, okay. so like they're yeah. funded by the Arts Council. 
And it, we just needed to make sure in order to survive, like some significant decisions had to be taken mm. around how the organisation was going to go forward. And to be fair, we took them and now it's absolutely flying. They're a wonderful, wonderful choir. They're Ireland's professional flagship choir. And with things like mission-driven organisations in the arts, it's very difficult to do it without funding. Yeah, you absolutely right. have to have funding. It's just not possible without it in mm. many cases. No matter how much you try and commercialise the product, like at the end of the day, you know, arts, all artistic events can't be commercial. They're all not going to have wide appeal, mm. but they're still really important to do, you know. Um, and this particular group did lots of contemporary music, which is like really a, a really important art form, but isn't going to bring in lots of bodies. Like it's not going to bring in lots of bums on seats, no. you know. Um, but yet it was like providing employment to lots of composers, to lots of singers, to lots of artists. It was, you know, providing like real, real high art experiences to the audiences who would enjoy it, you know, um, which is really valid. Um when I finished with the Chamber Choir, like I knew that, you know, I wanted to kind of get back out of the music industry again. And I really had this kind of hankering to be in a venue, you know, like it was mm. just, you know, this idea of bricks and mortar. Like, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. A powerful thing, you know. And um, see people come through the doors and. Yeah. And just like really make an impact on a community, like a big community. Yeah. I spent a year after the, after the Chamber Choir in Washington, D.C. Um, at the Kennedy Centre, which is Whoa. the National Cultural Centre of the U.S. How did that come about? I applied for a fellowship programme, um, an international fellowship programme. They were taking 10 fellows from across the world of arts management, you know, yeah. international. I think there was three international places and seven Americans. Yeah. So I applied and I don't know how it happened, but I was successful in getting on this fellowship program and it was just like as amazing as you would expect it to be, you know. Yeah, because the sounds unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And I still pinched myself. It was yeah. 11 years ago now and I still pinched myself that I got to do and it. And like, how big a venue is that? Well, their budget is 200 million a year. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so it's huge, like it's huge. And it has under one roof, nine venues and it houses a opera company and an orchestra and... um. And, you know, anything that's touring anywhere in the world that's of any significance mm. is going to the Kennedy Centre. Um, and it is like based in Washington, D.C., like it's big, like politically connected is venue. Is it state funded or is it a non-profit or how does well, it Well, funding in the States is different. Like a lot of their, a lot of their um, work happens through philanthropic giving, you yes. know. So it, yeah. there is some access to state to federal money yeah. and but in, in DC because it's, it's not necessarily a state like they got some federal funding but in the main it was like big fundraising drives yeah. you know so we learned a lot about that I mean the, the fellows had full access to like the entire management team we were bought into like decision making processes like we were kind of really bought into the fold and um, the president of the Kennedy Centre at the time Michael Kaiser who's an incredible like king of like he's an incredible arts manager who is like world renowned for like really doing brilliant things and like helping organisations really yeah. turn themselves around. Michael was our mentor and we kind of he established the fellowship. So we spent a year working with him and he remains, you know, somebody who I taught or like who I look up to and mentors me, you know, to this day. Um and it's somebody, a great apprenticeship. Like, oh, really? Like, it's special. probably the ultimate apprenticeship in, ultimate. in the industry that you're in. Yeah, definitely. I really, I was really lucky to get it. And while I was there, actually, I managed to, however I did it, um, I managed to organise the chain required to come and perform at the White House oh, on St. Patrick's Day. Um, 
So that was cool. And we got to meet the Obamas at the time and we got to sing for them. And like, that was just wild. I can't, I'm still pinching myself about we, that. We actually, you were in the White I House. I was in the White and House. And they were performing. And they were performing. And I had to go to the White House a couple of times to like do a recce and yeah, yeah. figure it out and meet the the well, the president's kind of entertainment guy, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, I often wonder because they have, yeah. you know, the inaugurations and they put on yeah. these dances and these... Yeah. So they obviously have their own team of people who organise all the events for them. They do. Yeah. And I got a letter of invitation from Michelle Obama for the choir, all of these kind of significant things. But again, it, I learned so much about like how to do things, you yeah. know, how to ask the questions, how to how to make sure that doors can open, you know, yeah. like, you know, and I had these really great colleagues at the Kennedy Centre who, when I told them I wanted to do this, they were like, OK, let, let me help you because Americans are really you know, yeah. helpful can be really yeah. helpful and really positive and really, really can do attitude. You know. Yeah. So did 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 you have to go then to their team and say, look, we know you're going to do the handover to Shamrock for Patrick's Day. Can we bring a choir over from the? From, yeah. Is it pretty kind of much something like, that? like pretty much like I knew that there would be I knew there would be decisions made about who would be performing yeah. on St Patrick's Day in the White yeah. House because every year there are Irish performers I see Niall Horan was performing Niall Horan was there this year fair play to him um, and did a fantastic job Um, but I just had it in my head that I wanted the Chamber Choir to do this and it was 2011 which was there was a very big emphasis on Irish arts in America that year there was a kind of a cultural connection Mm. between Ireland and the US at that that year and and, you know Culture Ireland had invested heavily in in sending a lot of Irish companies to the US you know so I wanted a piece of that, you know, yeah. for the Chamber Choir. And I went around kind of the American angle through my colleagues at the Kennedy Centre who maybe had connections with the White House. Yeah. And, you know, I had people put in good words for us. Yeah. And then I also, on the other side of that, worked the connections on the Ireland side with Culture Ireland and with the decision makers, you know. Yeah. And I think ultimately, I think that the White House felt it was a good fit for the day. So, so they, there's your lobbying from the the, yeah. the Students' <laughs> Union kind of coming back again. <laughs> there you uh, go. Because it's all, it's very, you know, I'd imagine all very it's political. You yeah, know. it is. And it's just knowing how to ask questions and yeah. knowing how to how to approach a situation with a kind of a strategic yeah. way of thinking about it, you know. And did you get to speak to Michelle and Barack Obama? Yeah, we had our photograph taken with them. Whoa. And what, yeah. what do you like, actually? Fabulous. Gorgeous people. Because yeah, they seem like they're lovely <laughs> they're people. They're like movie stars, like, yeah. you know. Well, you know, they were just really sweet and they were really happy to, like, allow us to take up our photograph yeah. with them. Yeah. And, you know, they were telling jokes about, you know, the um, the pond in the White House trying to dye it green, but it looking like algae and <laughs> yeah. looking really yeah. terrible and it being a failure. And But it was just this, like, it, it again came back to the same thing for me. I remember talking to my colleagues that evening about it and being like, this is the power of music. Like, mm. this is actually the power, yeah. the power that we have as cultural leaders and artists to get into the room, like yeah. to have a voice at the table, you know. And it was just a really incredible moment for me to understand, like, you know, how important the work that artists do is actually, you know. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Because we kind of were saying that we're going like, sometimes in secondary school not every secondary school would do music it's yeah. dismissed as in, yeah. that's something you do outside of school it's yeah. not a career yeah. yet it could be one of the only careers that ends ends up with you singing in the in the White House or <laughs> yeah. at yeah. some big major event but it certainly gives you a door it gives you a door to go through and you know like you're absolutely right like there's such an emphasis on STEM and yeah. you know and sciences and all of that is really great for people who are into that you know but there's often kids who aren't into that at all and who 
have this kind of pull towards creativity yeah. and this pull towards making and and like you know expressing feelings and emotions through an art form yeah. you know and it's just really really valid and can lead to really powerful things if it's used in the right way and i really would i really do have seen that time and time and time again even in the position i'm in now in the opera house which is like an absolutely joyful job to have mm. in many many ways you understand like we understand that like it's a privilege actually to be able to do this work yeah you know um but that it doesn't come without like hard work and dedication and, you know, people believing in you, you know, like, I mean, that's a really important part of it. Like I have parents who are really supportive of me going down this route, yeah. never really wanted me to do anything but what I wanted to do, you know, and like I'm the product of that, you know, like in many ways, like it open, it gave me the space and opened the doors for me to do what I wanted to do, you know. But it also brought out a kind of an entrepreneurial mindset in you as well, that creativity, yeah. because organizing various events you kind of have to think on the spot don't you think oh of, like big time you know yeah. you know thinking about that that bringing the chamber choir off to the US like how does that happen you have to look at it it's like a jigsaw puzzle yeah you have to have the vision first and yeah. foremost of what you want to do like and then you have to set about doing it yeah. and they're two separate things you yeah. know having a vision for something is like you know having the foresight and the kind of lateral thinking to believe that something is a good idea and then, which I'm probably less good at, is the delivering of the project, you know. Now yeah. I've had to become very good at it over the years, yeah. but I'm not a natural, like, I'd say attention to detail is something that I've had to work really hard at, yeah. you know. Um, but it's really, it's equally as important as yes. as having the vision to do something, you know. Um, so. So when you left the States, like, that must have been hard to leave anyway to begin with. It was with. very hard like, to leave, yeah. Was, was the time up? Was it just for a the year? The time was up and they want you to go back and impart your newly acquired knowledge to the world to, that you came from. I mean, the whole idea was to send me back to Ireland so yeah. that I could, you know, have an impact here. So um, what did you come back to? I came back and set up my own company and I was, I had like a number of clients in a kind of a producing, marketing, kind of sponsorship, fundraising type of... Putting shows on and things like that? Yeah, more, it was more supporting artists, I would think. Okay. Like, And it was just a way for me to kind of see what was happening in Ireland, mm. get involved mm. in a few things. And I really had no plan at the time. I was like, should I go back to America? I was really keen to go back to the States, but mm. it's, it was really difficult at the time to get a visa. I think it still is. Um you know, when I got home, I kind of just settled a little bit, you know, and yeah. I was like, OK, I'm going to just take a little bit of time here now and just figure out like how I can be impactful yeah. in Ireland. And um, the Opera House actually was one of my clients at the time and I was doing a little bit of marketing for the Opera House. And it just kind of the relationship just kind of deepened like very yeah. quickly. And yeah. it I got very kind of involved in quite a, a lot across a number of areas with the Opera House. And before long... Mary appointed me, Mary, my predecessor in the Opera House, asked me to come on board as the general manager, which I was, you know, very happy to do at the time because yeah. I knew that in order to get to the ultimate goal, which was to become, you know, the artistic director stroke CEO, yeah. it was really important for me to know like how the business worked and how the, mm. you know, how the water system works and like how yeah. if there's a broken seat, what happens and, yeah. you know, how the HR works and across the building and like, you know, and I had like three years of intense 
kind you of day to day operations day-to-day management, operations management mm. in the opera house, which wasn't ultimately where I was mm. wanting to be. But I knew it was a really good way for me to get it, get to get to know not just the opera house, but how venues worked. But it's a bit like what you said, we're like, oh, about you, you had the vision for things. Yeah. But maybe the details So that three years probably helped. It really did help. It really did help. I mean, I wouldn't have been, there's no way I would have able I would have been able to be as successful as I have been in the Opera House yeah. without that. Yeah. You know, it really gave me a strong grounding mm. in how the place works and what I could bring to it, actually. Mm. You know, when the time came to, to become, to go for the job and um, when that came up. And I have to say, like, it's not that I expected that to happen. I didn't. But I knew that if I wanted to work in any venue as the boss boss, yeah, I needed to, there were some things I needed to learn. And know? the Opera House had become an, I suppose it was always a, such a core part of Cork. Mm. Like growing up, the opera house was the place. Mm. I went through a bit of a change then and I think it kind of was revitalised under Mary. Mm. So that was a big kind of, um, I suppose, challenge for you to to, to take on mm-hmm. when she passed because she had built such a good reputation for, for the place. Mm-hmm. How, what, what did that feel like? I mean, like Mary's, Mary Hickson is an incredibly powerful visionary woman like yeah. she's fantastic and working yeah. for her was like a mile a minute you know yeah um and working with her you know was was really really interesting yeah. you know because yeah. she is she's hugely ambitious yeah um and i knew i had big shoes to fill like mm. when mary decided to move on to mm. to other pastures which she has moved on and done incredible things um but like i also knew that i had something mm. to say yeah you know and you had the experience from different parts of yeah. Scotland, the US yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I Bring had... Bring a new vision. Yeah. To, and it was time for a new vision, you know. Mm. Um, And I would have been like, you know, I would have been nervous about it, I have to say now. about, mm. And as well as that, because people... I was transitioning from a general manager's job into this, into the senior job, you know. Yeah. And I mean, the general manager's job was the number two job, but I was, sometimes it's not easy to transition from number two to number one yes. and bring everybody with you. Yeah. And I knew I had to bring everybody with me, yeah. you know. Um, and that was difficult for, for my colleagues as well to kind of see me as one thing and then have to see me as another thing, you know. So we all worked through that together. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible privilege to do this job, like, you know, to be the custodian of the programme in the Opera House for a while. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no other venue like it in the country, or actually in the world. I would say, like the in what way the the connection that it has to the city is actually unmatched. You know, okay. the ownership that people of Cork feel yeah towards the Opera House yeah is why it's successful mm. because they get behind it, they support it, they come to things, they come to things multiple times a year, mm. they care about it they care about whether or not we're doing a good job they tell us whether or not we're doing a good job all the time and like that's really powerful like and that's not always the case you know is it the backstory the fact that a burnt dome was rebuilt so. you know there's, there's the so kind many of reasons yeah and i think the biggest reason of all is like this pride that cork people have in cork you know like yes. that is that's a really tangible powerful thing that Cork has to and offer. That, that's not easy for a Kerry lady to say. Well, now, there you go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother's from Cork, but I'm always told that that doesn't count. No. <laughs> I know. Surely at this stage, you're a Cork woman at this stage. I hope so. Yeah. I hope I've earned, I've earned my stripes. Um, and I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like the Kerry crowd to be upset now hearing that, but, you know. <laughs> you haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. Um, no, I have to say, like, we've we've really kind of honed in on this like relationship that the Opera House has with yeah. the, the community around it 
And we've really built on that. Like we really think about the artists that we engage, in particular for the work that we make ourselves. We mm. make about a third of the programme ourselves Whoa. in the Opera House, right? So we're hugely dependent on local artists mm. and like, you know, people living in, and, and working in Cork to make that work. Yeah. Um, and because of that, we have, we continue to kind of foster this buy-in, this culture of like bringing people in bringing the locality in and it's really building on like what has always been the case in the Opera House which is like the local people making it a success yeah, the local yeah. people fundraising to rebuild it when it burned down yeah. like the people of this region like care about this building deeply and to be able for me to be able to like successfully negotiate that in a way that kind of continues that bond and continues that connection is, is really important you know and I, I think about it all the time. I think about it every single day in the work that I do is like, you know, how how will people respond to the, to the decisions, to the work that I'm doing, to the, you know, to the decisions I'm making in relation to the programme and what we do and how we spend our funding and how we engage with, you know, the yeah. people in Cork, you know, and the people in the surrounding regions. Because it's not just Cork either. Like we've lots of people from outside Cork, if you can yeah. believe it, who come to the Opera House. I'd imagine it's, it's, it's seen as kind of the one of the top venues in Munster yeah, yeah I mean it's seen as one of the top venues in the country yeah because we're packing a punch like artistically you know yeah. we're packing a punch with our with our in-house productions with our opera program mm. with the stuff that we're doing with the orchestra like so artistically it's in very it's in a very good place Um, it's very well respected Um, but apart from that at all like that's one element of what we do which is like the artistic program which is more the kind of mission driven yeah it's the kind of, you know, it's the wor- it's the work that we get funded for. Mm. You then look at across our commercial programme or the kind of pro- programme that is more about like country music, comedians, yeah. you know, music, gigs, you know. And, you know, all of it is, all of it is, is as important. Every single type of performance is equally mm. as important as the next thing because it all creates this this ecology that makes the whole thing work, you know. Yeah, yeah. So like the country music is just as valid and important as the opera, which is just as valid and important as the comedy, you know, yeah. like everything has a platform. Everything is of equal status in the operas, you know. And I think that makes it really accessible, makes it really friendly. It makes it really like we just throw our doors open for everybody to come in. You know, yeah, and a lot of the citizens do get to enjoy it at different periods of the year as yeah. a result. So it's not just, even though it's called the Opera House, it's yeah. not just for opera. It's very rarely opera, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but you know, it's amazing to see how people. I mean, you look at some of the the figures of people coming back time and time again. They're coming, you know, once every two months to see things like yeah. that's a phenomenal buy-in. You know, and. You know, we can build on that too. Like there are always, there's always space. Like we're we're at the moment now, we're like, okay, well, we really need to start thinking about, you know, the ages of, you know, 20 to 35 and engaging that audience mm. and how we engage that audience. Mm. And that's kind of the most difficult audience to get through the doors. Yeah. We do lots of gigs with the seats out, but like it's hard to take the seats out. It's hard on the house, you know, um, and we can't do it very much. So. It's usually around a jazz festival or jazz something Jazz festival. Like that. Yeah. We might do it two or three times a year, but yeah. like. It costs a lot of money and it, you know, it's it's hard on the seats to be taking them in and out and they're a mm. big important, they're a very important part of yeah, the operation yeah. of the place. But, you know, we have to think about how can we engage this particular audience because I don't, I don't think we're as successful as we can be yet with that. And and the Half Moon Club that used to be there before, like, yeah. is that just sitting, like, what happens with that venue? The Half Moon Club now is a, it's essentially, um, 
it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's there and we use it to support our in-house productions. So it's there for um, for big set pieces. Okay. It helps us. Like we really need space to be able to do this really ambitious yeah. programming. And space is, is not something that's easy to find mm. in the opera house. Like, mm. you know, I mean, most of the space is the auditorium and the stage. Mm. So we're all in like corridors and... <laughs> You know, little yeah, nooks and crannies yeah. around the house, but um, which is, you know, the right thing is that the majority of the space goes to the shows. But in order to be able to do the ambitious, you know, big summer shows and the musicals and things, we need space to be able to make these things and support these things. So um, it's just it's been repurposed, you know, for that reason over yeah. the years, you know. In terms of putting together a programme, like, is that a year in advance, two years in advance. Like, how, do, how does it work? It's really interesting. Like, I mean, I have a colleague who, um, Ashley Keating, yeah. Ashley from, from the Frank Ashley and Walters. Frank, yeah. Ashley from the Frank and Walters, who, um, Ashley's our head of programming. So I work really closely with Ashley. Um, and we have this kind of system whereby Ashley does a lot of the kind of more commercial side of the program. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then I do the in-house productions and the artistic program. Yeah. And so like, we, it's kind of, I would say like it's 50-50, you know, mm. and Ashley works with lots of promoters mm. who like who are touring things all over the country and who are our bread and butter, you know, in many ways, like bringing all sorts of brilliant um, work to us. And, you know, a lot of the work that we do is like promoters are our customers, you know, artists mm. are our customers. They yeah. use our facility, they use our space. They're responsible for bringing in, you know, hundreds of thousands of people into the opera house every mm. year, you know. Um, and then the other side of the work that I do is, you know, making decisions around what we're going to produce in a year, like what will be the show this summer and what will be, you know, the panto and what would what would we do with our opera program? What would we do with our orchestra? Like when I came in in 2015, we founded an orchestra and we have the, the orchestra has been going now since 2015, which is like a phenomenal thing. Yeah. And it, you know, we we engage the orchestra multiple times a year to do many, many different stream, yeah. programming streams. Um, so that has been really fulfilling and really interesting and something that I hope we can continue to develop into the future um, because it's really great for the Opera House and for Cork to have a professional orchestra in our midst you know we're about to do our proms in a few weeks time which is you know real celebration of the orchestra yeah. um, so I really do, do the quite a lot of the making of the yeah. shows and okay. the engaging um, and then um, and setting out a programme is a really fine balance all the time you mm-hmm. have to get it right between the work that will deliver commercially yeah. as well as being deliver in terms of quality. And you have to mix that in with the work that isn't going to deliver commercially, but we can kind of fall back on a little bit of funding to help us. Mm. But like, you know, it's not, it's not like that, that work is not about making money. You know, that's yeah. about, yeah. that's about fulfilling the mission of the organization and the, and the strategic objectives of the organization, you know, and I have to say like we've, we, you know, I, I, I work with our board, you know, we have a really, really great board of directors who are very engaged in the success of the organization you know so we who are you know oversee a lot of the work of the executive including my work yeah. and um it keeps us really focused actually you know um and the program is very much a factor in that you know like i mean we have enough we have enough cross representation on our board i feel that everybody is represented in the program mm. you know but what's really key with the program is that it does remain accessible and easy for people to be part of. Yeah, yeah. Um, no matter what that means, you know. Um, 
like one man's opera is another man's Daniel O'Donnell. You know, it's yes. it's and it's just having respect for people's cho- choices and tastes. Yeah. You know, yeah, and still delivering quality across everything, every single thing that we. And do. that is important, I'd imagine, to understand that everyone do does have different tastes. Oh, a hundred percent. Like yeah. it's and it's all so subjective. Yeah. Like who are we to to judge yeah. anybody's tastes in anything? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. But like, it is our job to provide arts and entertainment for the city. Mm. So. We have to do that across all genres and we have to do it in such a way that delivers really good quality work. And I'd imagine it has a huge economic benefit to the city as well, does it? I would think so. I mean, I certainly would. I certainly would think so. I mean, if you consider across the period of Panto, for example, we're delivering up to 70 shows, you know, that's 70 shows of just under a thousand people coming in the doors, you know. The impact that has on the shops and the pubs and, and the, the restaurants, restaurants and, yeah. and you know, and just the town, like the you know, yeah. the city centre, city centre life, you know. Um, I think we really do play a really important function in city centre life, you know, and it, it brings people into the city centre at night time for something other than going to the pub, which is mm. you know, which is really important for people, you know. And I think in particular coming out of the couple of years that we've had, you know, like coming out of like the dreaded pandemic and the, you know, the difficulties that like that it, it brought up for people. How did you face that? Like, I mean, <laughs> like there's no apprenticeship in, in the Kennedy Centre <laughs> no, or the Chamber not. or Edinburgh could have prepared you for that. No, nothing could. could. Nothing and had and nothing would ever have prepared us. You had to cancel shows at last minute, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, we we closed the Opera House on the 12th of March 2020. Yeah. And we didn't really open fully until 18 months of closure. And then it kind of closed again, didn't it? And then we opened and closed again. Yeah. Um, But we, you know, once we opened once at all, you were we kind were, of we in were the door kind of, yeah. we were like we were ready to go yeah. I mean we really spent that full time getting ready to open mm. so that when the time came we were completely there mm. you know well first of all when we closed it it was like a desperately desperately sad thing to do I mean I was finishing up at the time to go on maternity leave I was heavily pregnant at that time and um, that my last job before I left was to close the doors you know and that was devastating for everybody yeah like no, like for the community, for mm. the arts community, for the audiences, for the staff, for everybody. I mean, it was just devastating. For people rehearsing to do shows yeah. that were about to come up I in mean, the next couple of months or whatever. We had a huge programme, huge. It was probably our biggest summer yet, you know, yeah. it was going to be 2020. We had the proms, we had, we were going to do a production of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Like it was lost, it was lost in the pan. Um, And I guess we just, at, at that point, we just had to take it one day at a time, mm. you know. It was so much uncertainty. I think the thing that really, really, really was, was the toxic thing about it all was the uncertainty you know like we'd make a decision and then the goalposts would change again but like it wasn't that wasn't just the arts like that was everybody you know yeah, yeah. Um, but really like the thing that saved us ultimately was that our staff kind of waited for us yeah. you know Yeah. and when the time came came, came back and gave it everything gave it 100% Shows their passion, I'd say, for oh, for what I, they do. I mean, I have so much admiration for people who work in the Opera House. Like, it's unbelievable. It goes above and beyond anyone in particular. It's about the institution and what it means, mm. you know. And it's about the work that we do and the commitment to making sure that that's done properly. I mean, I, I spoke about the board already. We have a really committed board who really, like, step by step, like, stayed with us, helped us figure it out. We were all in it together. Mm. Um, 
it was a really it was a really really scary time but it was also like a really a really important time because we made some like good decisions that really set us up so that when we did open um we were ready to go yeah did you, know? you did it give you time for that big vision stuff again i think you know there was you couldn't help that because yeah. there was so much time where we weren't operating as a venue that mm-hmm. like it really i really spent a lot of time thinking about how we do what we do what we do well what we could do better and like it gave me a chance to like really think about the things i wanted to focus on for the opera house you know mm. um part of that was making sure that the legacy was there for when we did we op- when we, when we did open that we could succeed and never have to go through this again you know yeah, um, yeah. look you know never say never but i think that we learned a lot about our organization and how to survive i mean what i re- what i really learned about was how strong the opera house brand is mm. how we had people our audiences were so patient with us and continue to be so patient with mm. us. They cared about the fact that we were closed. They cared about the fact that we had to cancel shows and reschedule shows. Um, and they just kind of gave us a break when we really needed it, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we when we reopened, like we were exhausted. We were exhausted because because we had th- been through a lot, you know. But like that has passed now, mm. you know, and it's kind of funny because we, Get back to normal fairly fast, I'd say, yeah. It's just like, well, I mean, shows come in, the shows come out, yeah, you know. Yeah. And no matter how long we were closed for, the minute we opened, it was like, oh, we're off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're off again. And um, we had a panto in 2021 that uh, was Nanny Nelly's panto telly. It was like our pandemic panto, you know, yeah. because we, you know, the, the week before we opened, uh, we were told and we'd sold this thing out, like, you know, they were sold all the tickets, but we yeah. were told that we could only have 50% capacity. So we had to, in order to n- not cancel the show and go ahead, we had to reorganise ourselves to make sure that our audiences could operate at 50% capacity, which means we had to double the amount of shows. You know, and then move 50% of the people who had already booked yeah, into new that, dub- that doubles the cost as well though, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it, well it doesn't necessarily double it, but it definitely increases it the cost. It increases you know? it, yeah. Um, but at that stage, we just needed, we just wanted it to go ahead, you know. Mm. So we were just, I mean, I just remember at the time, it was just like every single day there was like a new restriction or a yeah. new a new reason for us to change what we were doing. But we did it and like the audiences were so good to us at the time. I mean, I, we, we will forever be grateful to our Panto audience for sticking with us, you know, because they really gave us the chance we needed to like yeah. to be successful. Um, And I take Opera House years in Panto. <laughs> I yeah, think about yeah, it in yeah. I'd imagine it's <laughs> they call it the cash co in business in terms of I'd imagine it is the it is a big moment for us every year. Yeah, it it takes up about two tor- or two months of your schedule, really, does yeah. it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, we begin in the end of November and we go to the end of January. Yeah, yeah so it's the full month of of, of no, December and January. Essentially. And at the weekends, there's two shows. Yeah, I mean, we could do. I mean, over the Christmas, we could do up to eleven shows a week. Like you know, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. big. It's big work for us. Like you know, and it's big ask of the cast and all that. Um, but like, I love the panto. Like, I absolutely love it. It's like, it is everything that's great about the operas. It's such a cork you know? tradition as well. It is, yeah, and it's you know, and it's so. It's about families. It's about generations of people coming mm. together. It's about celebrating Christmas and life and, you know, good times and 
you know, families and like it's about getting together and having a laugh and tradition and nostalgia and all of that is wrapped up in us, you know, and the show itself is all about nostalgia and gas crack and just, I mean, like it's just really fabulous. It's a fabulous product. It's a great thing to be able to do once a year. And we like, we really do go for it. Like, (laughs) you know, we had, we had Trevor on the podcast last year and um, something that I made, I think I made a point to him it seems to always get better as well. Mm-hmm. It's like you put a kind of a challenge on yourselves. Mm. How do we get to the next level? Yeah. Yeah, well, you have to, like, we have to invest in the product, you know? Yeah. Um, Because it, it, it delivers for us, you know? Like, yeah. and it's, it's a really important, like, when I started in the CEO position, like, we, we did, we moved from, I think it was maybe 50 shows up to 67 shows. So we opened a week early. Yeah. And we finished a week later. Yeah. So now we're, we've maxed that out, you know, in terms of we can't open any earlier, we can't go on any later, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. so we've kind of upped the capacity across the board. Like we've, we've you know, essentially um, increased, we've increased our audiences significantly over the last number of years. And I think that's because we keep investing in the show. Mm. Like the show is everything. Mm. Like the show, the quality of the show, quality of the cast, the singing, the dancing, the jokes, the laughter, the crack the audience engagement, like all of that mix, all of the ingredients have to be right, which means that every single part of that mix, all of those ingredients need like really close attention. They need to, we need to care about every single element of the show. And I'm really proud of what we've done with the Panto. Like, I think it's, it's exceptional really considering that, you know, we're like, we're not a Dublin theatre with yes. like lots and lots and lots of access to huge audiences yeah, and massive, yeah. massive, pop, massive populations, you know. And there is like, competition locally as well. as lots not, of yeah. competition yeah. and all of that. But like, we have to be the best to succeed, you know. And I think we've, I know, I think we've achieved a lot there. But I think, I feel like that about all of the programme in the yeah. Opera House actually. Like, I think we continue to operate at a really high level and a really high standard, you know. And with um, the rest of the programme, like what are the big sellers in terms of, you know, you know, you put it on, it sells fast. Like, so is there any kind of surprise things that the public wouldn't know that would set you think? I mean, we were just having this conversation in the office this morning. Um, you know, we recently pushed the the mindset of serial killer. Oh, right? yeah. Like a, it's kind of like podcast. a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's selling out. Like yeah. we programmed a rock orchestra one night, one night, sold out immediately. Second night, sold out immediately. Like, I would never have thought that that would happen. But Ashley came to me with the idea and I was like, sure, look, we give it a shot. Like, you know, yeah. sell out, you yeah. know. I mean, there are certain things that would like completely take you, like things that maybe people have engaged on social media, on Facebook, on, yeah. you know, on TikTok, yeah. on, on Instagram. um, And all of a sudden, there's like a whole audience for something before you even realise that it's a thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um. So it's really important that we're on top of that and that we're kind of aware of what people are interested in. So and you're looking at trends on a regular are, basis all the time, and we're always looking at what the other what other venues in other parts of the country are doing. We're always talking to promoters about what's out there. We are always looking mm. for more programming. We're always looking to diversify our program. Um. Things like country music are always really great to sell like yeah. um, the likes of you know Tommy Fleming and the Three Amigos and like that particular audience like love coming to the Opera House and we continue to service that audience because they're really they're a fantastic audience like mm-hmm. and they're real mm-hmm. stalwarts of what we do you know yeah. Um, what else works for us like I mean it's, it really depends like you know I mean 
we've tended to do less kind of mid-scale theatre in recent years because it can be really difficult to make work. Is that a change in habits of people that... I think that people just don't really... uh, I mean, I think it's a few things. Um, I think that often people don't associate the Opera House with theatre very much, you know, so... Too big a venue? Yeah, maybe it's too big and like, you know, and we have another venue in the city that does this really well, you know, and can... And is really like a you know, a really leader in this area, you know. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes we do the big kind of institutional pieces, like if, you know, this year now we have the Abbey coming with Tartuffe and we have like, um, we'll do the things that have, that have like the big shiny things. Commercial you know? value, I yeah. suppose, yeah. Commercial value and big, you know, big kind of broad appeal and that are, um, like, for example, it's great when the Abbey tour because like, they'll come to us and, mm. um, we can, we can, we're a big house, like we can fit their shows, yeah, we can fit yeah, their sets. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that we're trying to, we're trying to kind of find our feet with, like what's the best in terms of theatre, like how do we do it well? Um, but I think we're, we're associated more as being kind of a music house, mm. um, which isn't necessarily who we are either, but like, I think lots of people associate music with, with the opera house more than theatre. But then, you know, it's so different for yeah. all the audiences, like lots of people would remember lots of theatre in the opera house over the years, you know. Is um, opera a struggle then, Fee? You know, it's Cork always had a tradition of opera yeah. and, and musicals and stuff like that. But then I've seen it myself being in shows over the years where the room is half empty. You know, you put yeah. on this big production, I feel sorry for the promoters that were putting it on or, you I know. know. Like, no. is that, can it be a struggle at times? It can, yeah. I mean, I'm very, like, I'm very committed to opera as an art form in the yeah. opera house because I really do believe that this generation of opera goers deserve access to opera. Yeah. Like it has always been part of what the opera house does, has mm. done it for the past 170 years like opera has featured on our mm. stage. So we can let it get to the point where opera doesn't happen. So how have we done that? Like we've established our own opera program where we do concert opera so we don't produce big expensive shows. Um, What we try and do is condense the, like say we'll do a performance of Carmen for example where we'll just we'll just present the score it'll just yes. be singers and the orchestra as opposed to the sets and costumes which is a huge cost I'd imagine huge cost but it's nowhere near the cost of putting on the show you know yes so therefore the pressure isn't on us like we're not going to if we decide to go out with concert opera we can use some of our arts concert funding to make sure yes. that it's not it doesn't end up in a loss but you know, we're not going to have this like huge big black hole from having produced a big show that... And you can do it for one night as well. We can do it for one night. Yeah. So we have kind of tailored an opera programme that gives people a really high quality experience Mm. but doesn't put us in a hugely financial like risky position, you know. Um, Then we have like Irish National Opera were founded, you know, five years ago now, I think. Um, And they're coming to Cork quite a lot. Okay. So... I mean, that has been really significant for us in terms of like having access to to big scale productions. Yeah. Um, like we have a performance now of Cozy coming up, Cozy Fantuti coming up with Majella in a few in yeah. a few months time. And like that's a brilliant opportunity for us to put opera on our stage. But like opera is a specific taste. It's mm. for people like not everybody's interested in opera. No. But I will say this, like I was blown away when I first started working in Cork at how much people know about mm, opera mm. and how much people care about opera. Like, that's unusual. Yeah. It's yeah. unusual in Ireland. If you're outside of Dublin, you know, it's unusual to find, like, such a huge percentage of the population 
being engaged with this art form that can be perceived yeah. as like, you know, inaccessible and like highfalutin, you know. Yeah, there was a tradition of working class people going yeah. to it, which and was unusual. S- yeah, You can absolutely tell. Yeah. You can absolutely tell because we get such a cross section of people coming to our opera programme and you hear people like banging out arias like, you yeah. know, like yeah. like at sing songs, people are singing arias, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And that is why, I mean, the Opera House has been in Cork for 170 years. Like, that's the legacy of yeah. the Opera House in Cork, you know. Operas for everybody. I really believe that, you know. But on the flip side of that, then you, you'd often put on hip hop artists, and, yeah. you know, and there seems to be a huge niche for that as well. Yeah. It's it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? That, That's what I mean about the kind of diversity of programming. Like we do it, we, we program for everybody. Yeah. For absolutely everybody. And we have to think about like how accessible the building is, how accessible our program is. Like it's really important that we aren't exclusive on anything, yeah. you know. Um, so that is the I th- I think that's why I love the Opera House so much. Like it's why I feel so at home there. It's like this idea that it belongs to everybody. Yeah, you know, it doesn't belong. It doesn't belong to me. Like I yeah. I like I'm just. You're looking after it. I'm looking after it for a yeah. little while, and like there'll be other people looking yeah. after it. There has been other people looking after yes. it, but it belongs to the people, you know. And it's on us as the team and the board and the people who are responsible for being the custodians of it to get it right, you know. And I'm guessing it has international respect as well because I'm always amazed by the likes of Michael McIntyre and mm-hmm. John Bishop and stuff who do kind of test runs mm-hmm. in the opera house before they do the tree arena. Like, how does that come about? Like, a lot of that is because, number one, they kind of trust our team. So, like, they come to Cork and they're like, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. Like, and the venue, the building itself, the room, the auditorium is really intimate. Yeah. Like there are, I don't know, you know yourself now, yeah. Stephen, from singing off the stage in the yeah. opera house. Like nobody feels that far away from you. No, they don't actually. When yeah. you're in yeah. the audience, it feels the stage is quite far away. But mm-hmm. when you're on the stage looking up at the audience, people are right up to you. You yeah. could almost reach out and touch people. Yeah. You know. Whatever way it was designed. Whatever actually way it was brilliant, designed, yeah. it was brilliant. So I think... Comedians love that intimacy yeah. um, and they, you know, the Cork audiences are really up for it. Like they're a good crack. They're yeah. they're a good test of how audiences respond, you know. And they'll spot people in the crowd probably <laughs> as well, is it? I yeah, imagine that's yeah, what they yeah, like. Yeah. It. They do. They like it and they can, you know, it's like a home away from home, you yeah. know. And like we're delighted because it gives us access to these incredibly like successful artists, you know. Um, but I think it's because we are really serious about what we do. Like we yeah. really care about the experience that the artists have when they come in and we try and really facilitate their every need, you know, um, for, for them to have a successful show. And that's, you know, that doesn't go unnoticed, I guess. And do you, know? you document it anywhere? Like do you have a guest book or uh, a wall of famous people who have performed in there? Like I know it likes of Johnny Cash, for example, would have yeah. performed there. You know, there's a lot of famous people over the years I've been in the opera house. Do you have anything like that, like a Hall of Fame or something? <laughs> we have a few different bits and pieces, but nothing nothing consistent, no. Yeah. Um, And it's just because, I don't know, I mean, I personally feel that, like, it's just what we do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, you leave it in the, you put it out there and it happens. Yeah. And night after night after night, different artists come and go. And that's just who we are, you know. I don't particularly feel the need to... To look at the past? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't. Like, yeah. other people probably would, yeah. but like, 
I think, you know, we always had to look forward. We always had to be up to the next gig. You're only yeah. as good as your last gig, you know. And, you know, I think it belongs, like the experience belongs to the people, yeah. you know. It belongs to the people who are at the show. It belongs to the audiences to tell the stories of being at the show. You know, it doesn't necessarily, the experience doesn't necessarily belong to us. It belongs to the people who buy the tickets and come to the show. Um, They're why we do it, you know. Um, But, you know, it's a good point. Like, I never really thought about that before, actually. Like, you know, we probably should have. Something. It's just it's such a historic venue. Yeah. When you say 170 years, it's probably... Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, there's plenty of archived footage, and we yeah. try. We do record a lot of our own stuff, so we have an archive of all the things we made ourselves. Oh, you know, yeah, okay. um, and you know, we have our marketing collateral and our brochures, and we have a record of everything. Mm. But we don't necessarily have like a wall of fame. But like, it's not a bad idea. And when you it know? comes to marketing, yeah, like it's probably at the core of of being in the entertainment business. You'd yeah. imagine. You have to let everybody know this is the next thing we have coming, yep. you know. So, like, is there a team of people? The- yeah, we have a marketing team and, like, it's a really important function in the house, I think, is is our marketing um, and how we communicate the different genres to the different audiences. Yeah. Uh, marketing has changed, like, how we market has changed so much in recent years, like, mm. with the, with the, in the wake of, like, digital marketing and, so digital marketing and advertising and how we decide to spend our budgets, yeah, right? Yeah. So how we sell. Some things you don't have to market at all, actually. Yeah. You just announce them and they sell. Probably do a bit of PR and the way it goes. A bit of PR, yeah. the way it goes. Uh, some things then take more kind of really programmatic marketing, mm. like really discussing what the piece is. What Like if we have a piece of contemporary dance, for example. Yeah. Audiences need some information about what that is. They're not just going to book it yeah. just because they like contemporary dance. Like they mm. need, they need to know what they're going to see. They need to know what they what to expect. So that's when you have to find ways of talking to people about the show. You have to look at more direct mail or direct email, yeah. or you have to target people with like more context about the show they're going to come to. And then you have to look at the kind of institutional marketing, like the marketing of the opera house, of the brand, of the institution yeah. itself, and how. You know, how we can, how do we continue to be the hottest ticket in town? Like, how yeah. do we continue to be yeah. the best? How do we continue to stay in the forefront of people's mm-hmm. minds? You know, um, and there's no, a number of ways we do that. But I think the most successful way we do it is by our program. Our program has to be really good, really exciting. Our own work that people connect with, like our the shows that we make, our panto, our summer show, our proms, our opera, our whatever it is we might decide to do in any given year, that is like very much part of the institution and who we are and how we talk about that is really important because that's how we get the buy-in, you know. Um, And you have to be careful in terms of, you know, promoting a show that's way off in advance and you have to sell something that's on tonight. You know, like, is there a balance in that? There is a balance, yeah. And it's always like, I I look at sales figures every single day. Yeah. I look at what the last 24 hours has done. Yeah. And a lot of my decisions will be informed by trends and sales trends. And, yeah. You know, and you also have to have a really strong gut for it. You have mm. to have a gut for like what will work and what won't work. And quite often we are selling shows that might sell 100 tickets, 200 tickets, because they're just shows that don't have that kind of wide appeal. Like, yeah, you know, because yeah. they're more, I don't know, like I'll use again, I'll use contemporary dance as an example. Like that's never going to sell the opera house out, you know. Yeah. But it's still really important that we do it and we get an audience that's appropriate for that piece, you know, so we get an appropriate size audience for that piece. 
the majority of things that we do will sell out and will mm-hmm. make their targets. I would say 95% of the things we, progr- we program will meet their targets. Yeah. Um, but there's always the 5% that don't. And it's that 5% that takes up our time then figuring out like what we need to change, what we need to tweak, how we need to talk to these people, how we need to connect. Is it social media? Is it radio advertising? Is it social? Is it digital advertising? Is it outdoor? Um, Is it like writing, like the old fashioned letter through the post, you know, about what's coming up, you know, and it very much depends on the show. And then you're looking for kind of sponsors and things like that as well for some of your big productions. I know, for example, we had Paul Gallagher in only recently and he was talking about that Skechers were... Yeah. The sponsor of the panto, and he yeah. thought it was fantastic. He said it was yeah. it was great, but you probably have to do that for a number of different things during the year. Yeah, we're always looking for people who are interested in in, in kind of a more meaningful relationship with us, you know. And Skechers, I was really delighted with that partnership because what a great brand association! Like you know, Skechers yeah. and the panto, and like you know, the kids in the panto were all in their Skechers shoes. Yeah, and like and there was just such a like panto was so ridiculously feel good, you know, um, that any brand that associate that is associated with it will you know will when they think of Panto there'll be a smile on their face like yeah. I have a two year old at home who has not stopped talking about Nanny Nelly since she's yeah. the show like yeah. she's only two you know um, and like that's a really strong it's a really strong brand you know but we do look for that across a number of our shows but it's not an easy thing to find mm. you know and you really have to find sponsors who are like really up for it and understand what what we do and who we are and who we, how we talk to people and um, and again, we're such, we're so many things, you know, mm. the Opera House is so many things to so many people that like finding the right sponsor for the right show is kind of a delicate process. One yeah. of the rare brands in Cork that actually touches on many different audiences from the young and the old, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And going forward, um, any big productions on the horizon? Obviously, there's a panto at the end of the year, I presume. But there is, of course. Besides that, what, um, what? We will be moving into now a pretty exciting time next year because we'll be celebrating our 170th birthday Whoa. starting next summer. Yeah. Um. So there'll be some really exciting stuff happening as part of that. And a lot of it will be, you know, we'll be taking some big steps in flexing our muscles as a producing yeah. house you know that's where the Hall of Fame no will come that's you heard it here Hall on the <laughs> podcast first that's great Hall of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's put that into the programme for the 170th um, but I'm excited about that because in in a birthday year you can do loads of things that you might yeah. uh, you mightn't be able to do in other years you know it gives so. you a nice excuse to do different concerts for different things definitely and, and bring in lots of different partners and mm. really like look at the story of who we are and you know explore the narrative around what the opera house is and mm. How, how we how like how we have come to be and why we are successful and what it means and what we what our impact is you know yeah. and it's time for, it's, it's going to be time for us to reflect and celebrate and think about the next you know 170 years you know and speaking about all those artists and speaking about the different people who have you know come to the to the venue is there anyone on your bucket list that you'd love to get in there um that's a really good question and this kind of changes all the time but there's one there's one artist in particular who I would love 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 to have in the opera house and I'm constantly trying to figure out a way and that's Paul Simon oh yeah I mean look maybe I'm dreaming now like you yeah. know but like I just I just think he's an incredibly amazing artist and somebody who I think would really suit what we do mm. I think he'd enjoy the intimacy of the venue so yeah I'll continue to Hope and dream. <laughs> yeah.
familiar with because some of the world's biggest artists have often played in yeah, in yeah. just you know the uh, theatre or yeah. you know it didn't. Am I right in saying Bruce Springsteen did it in Broadway or something not so long yeah, ago? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're innovative enough with these artists, like lots of artists don't like playing arenas and don't like playing yeah. big big stadiums yeah. because it's really hard to find that connection, mm. especially if you're like uh, an instrumentalist or you're a folk singer or you're a mm. Somebody who doesn't have like, you know, a big show. Yeah. You just have, you're just, a, you're just a guy or a girl on a guitar, you know. And you just go up on the stage. And, and you just go yeah. up and you want to sing your songs like, you know, and even like to do, you know, um, solo gigs, you know. I mean, I think as venue operators, like we can be really kind of like, but again, that's what having connections like, you know, you need to know his people in order yeah. to get to him, you know. And that's something that, you know, my, my predecessor Mary Hickson was very good at. Like making sure that you're talking to the right people all the time and you're, yeah. you know, you're getting to the artist, you're getting to the big guy, you're getting to the guy who you really want, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes over the years, you have seen artists that maybe disappear for a while. Yeah. Then come back, play in the opera house and the next thing they're playing in the tree arena. Like, I, I think in particular, Niall Rogers would have been one of yeah, those. Yeah. Like he played in the opera house and the next thing he's playing live yeah. at the marquee in yeah. Glastonbury. Yeah, I don't know what that's about, but Niall's, Niall Rogers' journey has been really interesting to watch. So he did a jazz festival for us, I would say maybe it was like eight, nine years ago yeah. now. And it was one of the best nights in the opera house. He's a brilliant ever, entertainer anyway, yeah. Ever. Um, but since then, it's just gone from strength to strength to strength. And yeah. often what happens is we'll get artists like just when they're on the way up. Like, yeah. for example, now Hosier was one artist and I said to myself, we're not going to see him now again for a long, long time. Yeah. We got him just on the cusp, of, yeah. you know, or I think what happened was it was in the diary and in the between the time mm. that he was, that we'd given him the date and the and the gig itself, he'd just exploded. And they honoured the gig, obviously, then, yeah. Yeah, and they honoured the gig because of course they do. Um, And then at the end, later on in their career, we often see people coming back to us, you yeah. know, when they've done the big thing and they've done the big, big shows and the big arenas and the three arenas and all the rest of it. And they just want something a little bit more intimate and meaningful. Yeah. They'll come back to us and we're here for it. You know, we're here for it all. You yeah, because like, yeah, you've had a lot of, I, I'm t- thinking of some US bands and stuff like that ha- that have played in there over the years yeah. that, again, 10 years previous to that, there's not a hope. Not a hope, yeah. Yeah, they would have been playing yeah. arenas and... But like the people's positioning in the music industry changes, yeah. you know, and like over time... Like they have this moment in their lives where they're huge and yeah. they can do whatever they want. And then they have, that that can't remain, like for a very, very, very small po- percentage of the population that remains. Yes, but like yeah. in the main, it ebbs and flows, yeah. you know, and you we can get them as part of the ebbs and, ebb, ebb and flow of their, yeah. of their careers, you know. But no matter what, like when they come in to us, like they all appreciate the venues and the audiences like we hear that time and time again that like there's no one quite like the Cork audience like Mario Rosenstock was with us last week and just like how generous our audiences are towards the artists so much so that he booked to come back to he you, booked he? to come back yeah. another two nights yeah, yeah. <laughs> he loves it he loves it we love it we love him you know Um. so yeah like it's it's a very special place like the opera houses you know there's, as I said at the start there's nowhere quite like it you know we finished the podcast with three questions every mm-hmm. week and you've you've just talked about this amazing brand, you know, 170 years old. There's not many brands in Cork that are that, are that old. 
The first question I have for you is, what tip would you give another business to build their brand and maybe a business in the entertainment industry? You have to just really, really protect and care about your program, Mm. your product. Like really, really protect it, think about it, care about it, love it, invest in it. Mm. And everything else will come from that. You know, I really firmly believe that our program is, is everything. It's our, it's the jewel in our crown. And if we continue to nurture it and, you know, protect it, mind it, invest in it, like, I think that we will continue to su- to succeed. Because it sells itself, kind of, is it? Yeah, and it mm. just, it, 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 it's a self-fulfilling cycle, you know, like, I mean, if the program is good, the sales will, co- mm. will be good, the family will grow, like the, you know, the audiences will grow, the stakeholders will grow, which means we'll continue to, you know, be commercially successful, which yeah. means we can continue to invest in the program. So it's like a cycle that if it's working properly, it will continue to deliver. And there's probably always new people coming to the venue, yeah. maybe new to the city. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there is lots of work to be done in audience development. Like we're, you know, we're like, like anybody that's coming into Cork as a new person. Mm. We need to be talking to them, engaging with them, caring about them, working for them, programming for them, you know. The second question I have is what tip would you give an individual? And I'm thinking about somebody maybe that might be listening that is from a creative background. Um, You've went from being creative into this brilliant leadership role. What tip would you give someone that wants to follow a similar path to you? I know it sounds a bit twee, but like you have to like be okay with failure. (laughs) You know, like because things will happen, things will happen. Like you can't be afraid of things going wrong. Right. So it's about being brave. It's about being, you know, being confident as in even if you have to fake the confidence, like you have to find it, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, And like, just don't be too worried. I mean, obviously, like calculated risks. Right. So like I make I take a lot of risks with the program in the Opera House, but Mm. like they're all calculated. So if you're thinking things through and if you're if you're fully aware of the things that could go wrong and you have a plan for if they do go wrong, yeah. then it's okay. Maybe it will go wrong and maybe that's okay. And has it happened? Yeah, many times. Yeah. There's no venue in the country or in the world that hasn't had a few bad shows, you know? Yeah. And would you few, still go on or would you cancel it? Uh, if there was no ticket sales? Like, it very much depends. Pre-pandemic, yeah. we would never have been a fan of rescheduling and postponing shows. Yeah. But pan- the pandemic has changed how we think about it. Yeah. You know, and we, you know, like it wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be the first thing. And it has really settled now in recent months. Like it, it stopped happening, you know. But if a show isn't selling at all, like, I no. mean, the last case scenario would be to cancel the show. Yeah. Last, last, last option. Yeah. That's why it never really happens. Um, Unless it clashes be, with something big, maybe would it, uh, does that ever happen? Maybe it happens that like it might make more sense to reschedule something. Yeah. So if it's like if it's up against say the marquee and you know all the other things that are happening in June, for example. Yeah. And we know we're not be, this show isn't going to be successful because of that we might decide to move it into move it, yeah. move it into the winter or move it into the spring. Um, but again, it really it so rarely happens that we'd be moving and rescheduling. It would, as like I said, it would never have happened before the pandemic, and even now. It's the last case scenario. Yeah. Like I'd be prefer, I would literally prefer people to be coming in for nothing. Like, you know, yes. no, we can't do that at all really. I know. And we can't yeah. do it. We can't yeah. do it in any way frequently. But 
for me, it's about making sure the show must go on like it's a real thing, you mm. know, and even when we were, you know, in the depths of despair, in our panto, in our pandemic panto, like the show went on, you mm. know, spite COVID and sickness and illness and all sorts of things like, you know, the last, last, last resort is to cancel it's the show. Fancy. The last question I have is in association with the show sponsor Skillsbase and we look to see what skill is essential in, in an industry. So what skill is essential in running a theatre? Creativity. Yeah. It absolutely is. Like because like I wouldn't be able to do most of the things that I, that I can do mm. in this job without without drawing back to my own life as a musician, my own understanding of what it's like to be an artist, my own understanding of music and the art form and just being able to have a sense of like how you're going to say the things you need to say yeah. and how you're and what creative tools you're going to use to say those things. Yeah. Right. So I I mean, I really believe that like marketing is an extension of my job in the Opera House. Like yeah. it is it is the public side of it's telling the story of like us, of what yeah. we do um, in so many ways. And, you know, that has to be done in a really creative way. And it's the cornerstone of everything for me is this ability to be creative. And with that then comes like passion, like focus, like dedication, all yeah. of the rest of us, you know. I think it's really important that you create a, 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 a sense of inclusion and safety where people can like participate in giving opinions and being creative where they're not it's not it's a judgment free zone yeah you know? yeah um and i think that's a really important part of of what we do look it's been fantastic to speak to you eileen um i'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the 170th anniversary yeah. of the opera house um exciting times ahead it's been true so much but um a great story thanks many for coming in thanks Stephen. that wraps up this week's podcast Thanks again to our sponsor, Skillsbase app, which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile-first engagement and blended learning tools. To find out more information on what they can do, visit skillsbase.ie. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms. I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.